My mission with Will's Bird Brain is to share love and appreciation for common birds like pigeons and house sparrows, along with introducing the hobby of birding to a larger, more diverse audience. I was not aware of this wonderful hobby until decades into my life. I want to make sure more people are introduced to birding sooner than I was, particularly young people of color. Diversity, accessibility, and inclusion are critical for the longevity of the hobby and for the continued survival of birds in general. The first step to inspiring conservation is empathy. What better way to foster empathy for the common critters than by getting more people of all backgrounds to value their life and existence? In this bonus episode, I'll share my thoughts on how you can foster a welcoming birding environment for all people. Thank you so much for caring about people and birds. The other day, I attended a lecture given by the brilliant Jennifer Ackerman, New York Times best-selling author of books such as The Genius of Birds and What an Owl Knows. I was excited to attend this lecture because I had been a fan of her writing for years, love educational seminars, and of course was thrilled for an opportunity to engage with the world of birding. The talk was free, snacks were provided, there were even educational ambassador owls present. I thought surely this would draw a good crowd of diverse birders, right? Wrong. After grabbing a cookie and oogling at the owls, shout out to the wonderful Center for Wildlife Maine, my fiancé and I took our seats in the crowded room. We had a bit of time before the lecture started, so I said to my partner, let's see how many people of color we can find. Scanning, scanning, zip, zero. Man, that's disappointing. Wait, there's an Asian man over there. Nice. We were disappointed there wasn't a diverse turnout, but not surprised. Upon observation, there was another huge demographic missing, young folks. Besides a couple of preschool-aged kids, there were only a couple of people present below the age of retirement. Soon enough, the guests found their seats, including former First Lady Laura Bush, interestingly enough, and Miss Ackerman was introduced. What commenced was an informative, funny, inspiring discussion of owls and why we should care about them. After getting my book signed and thanking Mrs. Ackerman for a lovely presentation, we were off to explore the town of Kennebunkport, Maine, where the event took place. However, something more than owls lingered with me as I traversed the lively coastal town. Why was the diversity in that room lacking? Surely birding has exploded in popularity among people of color since COVID with the advent of Black Birders Week, the rise of Black outdoor influencers, and aggressive corporate sponsorship of brown people engaging with natural hobbies. Perhaps it was because, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, Kennebunkport is 94.5% white and 34.3% 65 years old and over. Maybe because the discussion was not advertised well? Maybe because young people of color don't read nonfiction bird books? As I pondered, I thought of myself as a fledgling birder. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know where to begin. But I knew I wanted to be a part of the birding community. 
I tried joining Facebook groups, but left after experiencing terribly unwelcoming, condescending behavior. I tried joining Audubon-sponsored bird walks, but failed to make any connections or learn from other attendees, leaving me feeling awkward and alone. I can confidently say, if I had stumbled upon this event as a new black birder, I would have turned tail and run. So how do we really reach out to these communities? How can we make the world of birding accessible to people of color? I'm no expert, and by no means believe I have all the answers, but I'd like to share with you my thoughts on how together we can introduce more people to birding in a fun, exciting, productive way. One, direct engagement. Throughout my professional career, I have mostly worked in the nonprofit sector for educational organizations promoting conservation. When I moved to Maine, I began to work for the Maine Maritime Museum, a charming establishment nestled against the Kennebec River in Bath, Maine. As a volunteer coordinator, I made it my mission to diversify the museum's volunteer pool. This was no small task. I don't think I have to reference census data to explain to you how white Maine is, not to mention the cost of living in beautiful towns like Bath near the ocean make it difficult for younger people to find affordable housing. Let's just say my work was cut out for me. Thankfully, I was not alone. The awesome education and outreach department at the museum had a similar mission. We quickly bonded over our shared determination to introduce the unique mission of the museum to new communities and update the stories the museum told. After departing from the museum, I'm glad to call these folks my friends. Heck, they've even joined me on this podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Luke. Something my museum buddies and I realized was marginalized communities were not just going to show up to the organizations they had historically never been a part of. There are a multitude of factors keeping people of color, disabled people, lower-income people, etc. from attending institutions like the Maine Maritime Museum or events like Miss Ackerman's talk. Some of these factors are not simply feelings like, these people aren't like me so I'm uncomfortable, though that is an element. One of the main factors keeping people from engaging is a lack of trust. Organizations will say, We are for everyone. All are welcome. We're a safe place. Then do nothing to engage with these communities and back up these claims. People do not trust these places because they have been foreign to them their whole lives. Why are percentages of white people engaging in outdoor activities disproportionately higher compared to the percentages of people of color doing the same things? These are mostly generational hobbies. Almost every birder I've spoken to told me their parents had bird feeders or grandparents were birders, and that's how they got into it. CDC data shows black people in America have a lower life expectancy than white people. Many black folk might not even get to meet their grandparents, let alone learn about birds from them. That brings me to another point, accessibility. Birding and outdoor hobbies like biking or swimming require money and transportation. For decades, black people were literally barred from accessing nearby swimming pools, 
decreasing the number of people that learned how to swim and to pass that skill on to their kids. Same with birding. A lack of access to green space prevented access to the world of birds. Couple that with the fact that these hobbies are expensive and lower-income communities cannot afford to splurge on taking their family to a museum or buying binoculars, you get a generation of people who never thought these spaces belonged to them. What do you do then? You need to engage with these groups directly. A concerted effort needs to be made by these organizations and events to generate interest in diverse communities. Lewiston, Maine boasts quite a diverse population, in part due to the Maine Immigration Refugee Services, an organization that helps new Mainers navigate the challenges that come with living in a new country and culture. This nonprofit, mostly led and operated by immigrants and founded by Somali native Rilwan Osman, helps new Mainers learn English, attain necessary documentation, find housing, and so much more. Because of the nearly two decades long work of this group, Lewiston, Maine has become a beautifully diverse community, featuring multiple generations of people of color. Want to get these people interested in birding? Host your bird book talk there. Send your museum outreach team there. It is not enough to simply say, come to us. We need to go to them. A lot of the attitude I've heard from white Mainers regarding Lewiston is that it has gone downhill. It's dangerous. It's dirty. It's funny because I look around and the city, even the downtown area, is beautiful. There's a waterfall and river, old brick mills and architecture, not to mention the newer exciting worldwide restaurants and shops. I just love seeing brown people thriving and enjoying themselves especially in these historically white spaces. I was at a Chipotle in Lewiston a couple of months ago and had a smile on my face while I ate because all of the workers were brown and almost every single patron in there was brown. They were not the menaces white manners seem to think they are. They're just living. How can you make a difference? Go birding in predominantly black or brown neighborhoods near you. Let these folks experience you doing what you love and be open, friendly, and excited to answer questions. My whole podcast is about urban birding. A lot of these underfunded neighborhoods do not have sophisticated park systems. Try birding in unique places, like a city, or near developed bodies of water, like the river in Lewiston. You can make a difference simply by being present. Get people curious in an inviting way. The Maritime Museum did this with their exhibit, Cotton Town. The education team went directly to a local college and taught special courses there about maritime history before helping the students curate their very own public exhibit, which detailed Maine's connection to the transatlantic slave trade. The museum's usual clientele matched closely with the birding crowd. It was so cool to see these young, culturally diverse students engaging with artifacts, sharing their research, and even getting excited about volunteering at the museum. This was made possible by Sarah and Luke going directly to that missing demographic and introducing them to the Maine Maritime Museum. (music) 
2. Make birding for everyone. The COVID-19 pandemic was devastating for countless reasons, but one positive side effect of that period of isolation was a rejuvenated appreciation for the outdoors. I've met many birders online and in person that told me they discovered or started birding during the pandemic. That's awesome! Another thing I saw on the rise during the pandemic was Black Pride in the Outdoors. Black Birders Week, for one, launched May 2020. Black Birders Week provided Black people in particular a large stage to make their existence and value known, as well as display their passion for birds. I started birding in 2018. Back then, birding was not cool. Birds were not cool. After the pandemic, birding became trendy and provided me with exposure to so many more people like me to connect with. I felt validated and seen. However, in my experience, that camaraderie was not really shared. I still had trouble connecting with people, even folks of color. I also found a disconnect between what I was interested in and what the black birders of Instagram in particular were interested in. I have always been about the birds. I have wanted to introduce people to the hobby in a fun way and teach people why we need to conserve them. I found a number of the most popular black birders seemed more interested in their own identity than birds. They wanted to tell people, I'm black, I'm proud, I belong in this community without really engaging in the community in an inclusive way. There are so many phenomenal black birders out there, including some I am happy to call friends. It's just a bit disappointing to see people with the largest platforms seem to be centering themselves instead of birds. Anyway, I posted some candid thoughts on Black Birders Week on Patreon. Head over there if you're interested in learning more. The reason I bring this up is because there are advocacy groups out there online, in nonprofits, in corporations, that believe anger and restitution are the answer for gaining access to communities they have been historically left out of. Reclamation of the space means making it a black space. I do not agree with this sentiment. I believe for birding to truly be accessible and inclusive, we need to make sure everyone is present and accounted for. That means young people. That means disabled people. That means black people. And yes, that means white people. We should come together and bond over our shared love of birds, not over collective trauma. When people start to make these hobbies about people, they lose their magic. Birding has meditative, healing qualities. Hiking reduces anxiety and connects people to the land. Swimming is a full-body workout and gives access to the totally different universe that is underwater. We are so little when it comes to the majesty of the natural world, I believe we shouldn't take our pain out on it. Let's make birding for everyone. Not just for white people, not just for black people. While we're at it, let's make birding about the birds. When introducing new people to birding, kindly let them know the basics of bird etiquette, such as do not flush birds, stay on trails, and don't use alarm calls or playback. If you're close with someone who does not fit that standard birding demographic, please consider introducing them to the hobby. For many people of color in particular, they are the founding member of this hobby for their family. Hopefully, they pass it on to their kids and so forth.
Sometimes we just need a buddy out there with us in, in these spaces to reassure us we belong. Heck, as a fairly confident and well-known birder myself, I would have felt a little nervous going to that bird book talk alone. Bring your friends, bring kiddos, bring everyone. Three, make birding your own. Recently, my brother-in-law started birding. Oh, how excited I was for him. He set up bird feeders, dusted off his father's old pair of binoculars, and waited for the show to begin. As he got more interested in birds, he even bought a digital camera and lens. He would send me photos of birds for ID help or share with me what he saw. It was heartwarming to experience the beginning of his journey. It reminded me of my own. Then came another reminder that was less heartwarming. He started getting discouraged and down on himself. He noticed his pictures were not as sharp as others online. His ID skills needed work. He couldn't get close-ups of birds. Hearing him withdraw from the hobby because the pressure he was putting on himself made me sad. I hate how in today's social media-driven world, we're always pumped with footage of the best, most exciting, most accomplished people and content. This can be devastating for the new birder's confidence. Knowing this, and not wanting to lose him as a birder, I sent him a small birder care package with books for learning and swag for confidence. Trust me, I'm a better birder when I'm wearing my blue bird hat. I mentioned that story because the beauty of birding is... It can be anything you want it to be. The dominating traditional birding culture sets strict guidelines for life bird counting, is critical on bird photography, ruthlessly gatekeeps bird locations, so on, so forth. Honestly, it's not very enticing for a newbie. Because of this, we need to change the narrative. Let's make birding cool. This whole show is about common birds, birds that can be found in any urban environment. From the cold concrete jungle of New York City to the frigid winters of Helena, Montana. If birds can adapt to humans' interference with the landscape, birding as a hobby can adapt. Try finding ways to make birding fun. I created Birder Bingo earlier this year as a way to get new birders hooked on being outside, kids in particular. By having tangible goals to check off, like spot a songbird or find a bug, people can begin to see how birding is much more than identifying fast-moving blobs or taking beautiful photography. By making birding our own, we can create a safe, accessible, inclusive, attractive environment new folks are sure to join. As mentioned, historically, birding has been seen as a white retiree hobby. Let's change that narrative. Do birding in the downtown areas of your city. Identify the birds featured in the paintings hanging in your favorite coffee shop. Listen to the birds singing and calling when you're on a neighborhood walk. All these things show us how we can live and breathe birding. If it's that easy, it's sure to interest newbies, including diverse populations. I love birds. I love my community. I want young people of color to be able to experience birding without feeling like they don't belong, like they'll never be good enough, like it's just not for them. We have the tools to make this a reality. 
we just have to earnestly put them to action. Hopefully, my recommendations of direct action, inclusion, and reimagining will inspire some of you to introduce someone new to birding. You can really make a big impact on someone's life, even a stranger. Words of encouragement or help with learning can keep someone's passion alive. Share your favorite birding hangouts, share cool apps or books, invite new people to the next bird event you go to. These little things will have a snowball effect leading to an inspiring, new diverse birding landscape in the future. Thank you so much for joining me today on this bonus episode. As a birder of color, I have dealt with my fair share of hardship in the wild. It sucks, but I press on because I love animals and I want to share that love with you. As we wait for more Will's Bird Brain Season 2, I've got some homework for you. Identify at least one person in your life, below the age of 65, and introduce them to birding. Take them on a walk. Send them a cool video you took on your phone. Share your favorite Will's Bird Brain podcast episode with them. Try and start that flicker of interest in their heart. The birds will do the rest. In the meantime, head on over to Instagram for more bird brain fun. You may support the show and my mission by visiting Etsy for homemade birdie gifts like my new postcards or Patreon for cool exclusive content like videos or birder bingo. Don't forget, keep the common critters in mind 